I'd like to invite you to turn with me, please, to the seventh chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We've been talking about the married state for the last uh, five weeks. This morning we want to talk about uh, the unmarried state, which uh, one wag has described as rapidly becoming the largest state in the Union. Uh, Between 1970 and 1987, the number of married couples in the United States dropped from 80% to almost 50%. If the uh, national statistics uh, prove true, then uh, something like a third of the people in a congregation of this size uh, would be single, either never married or divorced or in some way unrelated to a mate. Those are, uh, those are more than statistics. We're talking about people, real, live, honest-to-goodness people. Uh, marketing analysts are very much aware of their presence. They've targeted uh, their advertising campaigns to reach the single world. Campbell's Lemenu frozen premium entrees are an example. Uh, Corning Glassworks uh, little, uh, little containers, little microwave containers. The idea being more people than ever before eating alone. That's the problem, simply stated. It's being alone. Loneliness. The uh, myth of the swinging single is just exactly that. It's a myth. In the first place, most singles don't have the money to swing, at least not very high or very long. The average income of a single person in the United States is less than $14,000 a year. You can't buy a BMW on uh, $14,000. You can't even keep your, the car you have running. And uh, furthermore, even if you do swing, you can't swing very long. You get old too fast. And there's nothing quite as painful as uh, an elderly, balding, paunchy, single, bar hopping, trying too hard, turning people off, turning women off especially. Art Hoppe, the uh, San Francisco Chronicle uh, Chronicle columnist, uh, recently quoted an elderly single man who walked out of a bar all by himself put on his hat, said to himself, my place or mine. Now, that's the problem. You see, it's that deep loneliness. And it's something that we, as, as the people of God, need to be aware of. It's a problem today. It was a problem in Paul's day as well, and that's what he's concerned with in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. This is the classic passage for dealing with the issue of singleness. Now, we've been talking to you married people for a long time. And the single people, and there are a lot of them in our congregation, have been sitting quietly and listening. And some of our uh, conversation has been painful to them. Now we're going to talk to the single people, and uh, we'd like for you married people to listen. uh, Because you may be single someday, or if the trend continues, one of your children very likely will be single. So these are related problems. This is an issue that all of us have to be involved in. And therefore, we need to pay attention to what the Apostle Paul is saying. Now, Paul himself was single. We have to remember that. He had probably been married at some point in his life, but uh, was either widowed or his wife divorced him, perhaps, when he became a believer. 
and he was living as a single man. So he knew the, the pain of being single. He had thought this issue all the way through. Furthermore, he's an inspired apostle. So we need to listen to what he has to say. Now, uh, people in Corinth were concerned about this whole issue of being single. It was a major problem in Corinth. Corinth was a cosmopolitan center, seaport town, a lot of wickedness going on, a lot of divorce, a lot of people living together who weren't married. Uh, sexual excesses were, were rampant. As a matter of fact, they coined a term in those days to Corinthianize, was to act like the Corinthians did. It referred to blatant sexual uh, misconduct. And there were single Christians living in the midst of that scene, and they were concerned about their single state. And so they wrote to the Apostle Paul. Verse 1. Now concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Uh, the word touch actually means to uh, take hold of, and Paul is probably thinking of marriage. It's a little difficult to understand exactly what Paul is saying. There may have been some ascetic pass, uh, practice in, in Corinth, what some commentators describe as spiritual marriages, people marrying but foregoing sexual relations because uh, they felt, you know, because of the intrusion of Greek thought, that the body was bad and sex was bad. So that's a possibility. I think, however, the NIV is right. When they translate, the, the translators translate uh, verse 1, it's good for a man not to marry. I think that's the point that Paul is, is trying to make. Now, uh, commentators disagree over the way to interpret this, this verse. Some would say this is a Corinthian quote. In other words, Paul is quoting from the Corinthian letter. That they had some mixed up idea about being single and celibate for life, that it was more spiritual than getting married. And they wrote and said it is good for a man not to marry. And Paul says, says no, no, that's not right. Marry. Actually, it would be impossible for us to know whether this is a quote because there, there are no quotation marks in, in, the, in the Greek text. Any quote, quotation marks you see would simply be the uh, opinion of the translator. Furthermore, if you follow Paul's argument carefully, you can understand, you, you understand what Paul is saying. He does not disagree with them. They, they raise the question, I think, is it good to marry? Is it good to be single? And Paul says, yes, it's good. It's all right to be single. And he goes on to say that because of the sexual pressures in the city of Corinth, he's probably you know, getting married is, is, a, is a good and suitable, proper way to deal with these, with these pressures. However, notice what he says in verse 6. I say this by way of concession, not of command. And I wish that all men were even as myself am. You understand what he's saying? Paul wasn't married. He was single. So I think what Paul is saying is if, if you're single, you're, you're okay. It's all right. You're, you're not subhuman. You're not some kind of second-class citizen. See, we're so used to hearing that. It's, we are taught that uh, marriage is the norm, and the only conclusion that a single person can come to is that to be single is to be abnormal. And, and they, they feel that since being married seems to be God's will for most of the race, to be single is to be out of God's will. We would never say that, but there, it, it's almost implied by some of the things that we say and singles grow up in the church thinking that somehow there's something wrong with me because I'm not married. 
How odd when the Lord himself, the perfect sinless man himself, was single. How can we denigrate the single state? How can we do that? No, I think Paul is saying it's okay to be single. If you're single and celibate, you're okay. Now, it's not okay to be single and sexually active. The First Corinthians 6 makes that very, very clear. But if you're single and you're celibate, you're okay. It's all right. Now, our Lord makes precisely the same point in Matthew 19. Remember the passage we looked at last week? The, the, the Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, Is it okay to divorce your wife for any and every cause? And our Lord says, in effect, there's really only one reason for divorce, and that's sexual immorality, marital infidelity. And uh, the disciples say, Ooh, if that's the case, it's better not to marry. Now, we know some marriage. You know, you, you know what they're thinking. We, we, we know some marriages that are really bad. And if you have to stay together with that person throughout your life, ooh, it's better not to marry. And the interesting thing is that our Lord does not disagree. You can go back and look at the text. He does not disagree. What he does say is that not everyone can handle that. He says exactly what Paul says, that marriage is a gracious gift to some, and the single state is a gracious gift to others. Both are gifts of God, given out of his love and intended to be received with thanksgiving. Now, I think that's what Paul is saying, and I want you to know that. We want you to know that. If you're single... You're okay. It's all right. It's not sinful to be single. That's a gracious gift which God has given. Now, let, let's follow through on Paul's argument in the seat and, and see the way he develops it. Uh, verse 17. Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each in this manner, let him walk. And thus I direct in all the churches. Uh, the only with which my translation begins go, goes back to verse 15. If the unbeliever, uh, if the unbelieving one leaves, let him let him leave. Throughout the first uh, two or three paragraphs of chapter seven, Paul has been saying that it's good to maintain the status quo. The controlling theme throughout is this uh, this word: remain, remain, stay put. If you're married, stay married. If you're unmarried, stay unmarried. Uh, if you're divorced, then remain unmarried or else be reconciled uh, to your husband. That, that's the dominant thought all the way through. Now, in verse 15, he interjects an, uh, an exception. He, he, he says, if you have a non-Christian husband, stick with him. Stay with him. But if he wants to leave, let him depart. Don't contest the divorce. Let him go. Nevertheless... Paul says in verse 17, as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each one, in this manner let him walk. Do you understand what he's saying? He's going back to his original theme, this idea of remaining in the situation in which you were called. And that word remain is going to occur again a number of times, verse 20, verse 24, and on through the chapter, really to the very end. That's, that's the idea that ties this whole chapter together. Maintain the status quo. Stay put. Why? Because your call sanctifies every situation. Now what Paul means by a calling in verse 17 is not a calling to a vocation or some, some particular form of service. He's talking about a call to salvation. 
He uses the, the term that way in chapter 1, verse 9. You were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, what he's saying is the situation in which you became a Christian is the one in which you should stay put. Now, he develops it uh, in the form of a principle. Verse 18 was any, uh, pardon me, in terms of a, of a precise uh, uh, illustration. And then he moves on to a principle in verse 24. Was any man called already circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Uh, were you a Jew when you were called? Then don't try to be a Gentile. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? Were you a Gentile when you became a Christian? Let him not be circumcised. Don't become a Jew. See, Remain in the situation in which you were called. Circumcision is nothing. It's quite an admission for a Jew to make, particularly a Jew of that day. Circumcision amounts to nothing, he says. Uncircumcision is nothing. What matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. In other words, what God looks for is a submissive heart. The reality of personal righteousness. That's what matters. Let each man remain in that condition in which he was called. Were you called as a Gentile? Then remain as a Gentile. Were you called as a Jew? Then remain as a Jew. He goes on. Were you called as a slave? Don't worry about it. Don't brood over it. Don't be bummed out because you're a slave. But if you're able to become free, rather do that. If you, gain, if you have the opportunity to gain your freedom, then take it, he says. But don't press for it. See? Be content in your, in your circumstances. For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, who was call, he, he who was called while free is Christ's slave. Being a slave or being free is irrelevant. Because slaves are free and freemen are slaves. That's the point that he's making. A slave in Christ is free as a bird. And a free man in Christ is enslaved to Christ. And so to be in, under human bondage is irrelevant. doesn't matter. You were bought with a price, he says. Do not become the slaves of men. Don't ultimately sell out to anyone. And now the, 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 the bottom line, the, the principle that he's moving to. Brethren, let each man remain with God in that in, uh, condition in which he was, he was called. In other words, the, the, the social circumstances of your life are irrelevant. What matters is your relationship with God. You see, the problem with so many single people is that they, think, they feel like they're in a holding pattern. They're waiting for something to happen. They're waiting until they get married, and then they can serve. Then they can do something significant, but they feel that that, that being single is the great impediment to service. It's the old uh, olive jam problem. You know, you get one olive out of the bottle and then the rest of them flow. And for many singles, the olive that plugs the flow is being single. But Paul says, no, no, that, that's not a problem. The only problem is your attitude. You, you need to look at that circumstance in which you're called as a place in which you can serve God acceptably. Bloom where you're planted. Or in the, in the words of the children's song, brighten the corner where you are. Uh, John Fisher, the uh, songwriter, in a, in a, an article that he wrote called The Single Person's Identity, described his own feelings this way. This was when he, he's writing as a single man. The suggestion creeps into my mind that I'm incomplete. 
I'm flying around trying to find the airport so I can get my feet on the ground and start living. It comes up even in the way I live, the way I place things in my room. I keep thinking when I have my own place or when I have someone with me, then I'll do this or that. This kind of thinking keeps me from being the man has called me to be right now. Uh, I, a couple of uh, years ago, I wrote a column about a tree that Pete Amon pointed out to, uh, to me in the desert. Some of you may remember the story. We were uh, Pete was uh, raised out there near Oriana on a ranch. And we were out there driving around one day, and, and he pointed out a tree to me that uh, he said had always been an illustration in, in his life of this principle, bloom where you're planted. It was a lonely Juniper. It was the only green thing you could see for miles. You could turn all the way around, and all you saw was desert. And right in the middle of the desert on the side of the hill was this juniper tree. Quite large, spreads out, uh, quite a spread. And underneath were some cows being shaded from the sun. Pete says every time he looks at that, it reminds him of that principle. Bloom where you plant it. And that's what Paul wants you to, wants you to understand. You don't need to wait till you get married. Your singleness is no impediment to the grace of God. You can serve acceptably, powerfully, with great influence, right where you are. Now, that doesn't mean that, that, that you're not going to have longings and desires to, to be married. Those are natural. The urge to merge is something that, that, that resides in us deeply, something God has planted there. It's not easy to live alone. And, and you should understand that the gift of celibacy is, is not uh, some, some special capacity to turn your emotions off so that you don't want to be married and you don't long for companionship. A friend of mine talked to me a couple of weeks ago about his unmarried state. He really wants to be married. He desperately wants to marry. And uh, things just keep They just don't work out for him. And so he said to me, would you pray that I would have the gift of celibacy? He said, I I want to serve God. I'm willing to be single, but I'm just so lonely. I just, I want a a wife so badly. And he said, would you just pray that I have the gift of celibacy? And, And I said, as kindly as I know how, I said, you have it. And it's not because I have the power to bestow it, but rather it's my belief that if you are single, that's the gift of singleness and celibacy. That God calls some to be married. That's his gracious gift to some. And he calls others to be single. That's his gracious gift to you. And if you are single, that doesn't mean you'll be single all the rest of your life. But if you are now single, you have the gift, the gracious gift of celibacy. Oh, but, you know, I just have so many longings. There's so many yearnings to marry. Yes, and, and, and you may always be unsatisfied in that sense, but you, could, you can be content. That's why Paul says later on in this chapter that the secret of the whole thing is remaining with God. Verse 24, let each man remain with God in that condition in which he was, he was called. The only way that you can, you can be content as a single person, is to remain with God, to put your roots down into his life and to, and to draw your life from him. But that's true of a married person as well. Marriage doesn't make you happy, you know that. Children don't make you happy. Only God can make you happy. 
there's strain and, and there are struggles in, in every household, in a married household, and there are strains in, in a single household. The, the source of joy in each case is, is God himself. And that's why Paul says that's the secret. Remain with God. He says in another place, uh, I've learned how to be abased. I've learned how to, to abound. I've learned the secret of being content in all circumstances. What? What is it? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, Paul was a single man. I'm sure he wanted to be married. And and our Lord was a single person. Remember that. Hebrews says he he, he felt all of the the stresses and strains that we feel. He's touched by the feelings of our infirmities. And and, uh, he experienced all the the longings that we, we, we experience. I'm sure our Lord long for a partner in life. But he drew his strength from the Father, and he was able to sustain himself in the midst of those longings, and he was able to have an eternal influence on the world. Same is true of you. Uh, One of my heroes uh, is a man who's been a bachelor all of his life. He's a little bit older than I am, and I've never met him, but we've corresponded. I've often wondered why he didn't marry very handsome man, uh, highly uh, uh, educated, intelligent, uh, wonderful person, wonderful personality. And I just couldn't figure out why he, why he didn't marry. And uh, I had an opportunity a couple of years ago to talk to his secretary. He had a male secretary for years who traveled with him. He was a young student out of seminary, and he was his research assistant and arranged for his schedule. And I, I asked him if he had ever, uh, ever asked my uh, my hero, why he never married? And he said, yes. He said, I did. I finally mustered up the courage one day, and I, and I asked him why he didn't. And he said, I expected him to say, I have the gift of celibacy or, or some such thing. And he said, he said, I don't know. I, I don't know why I haven't married. He said, I've always wanted to. He said, I, I, I'm very lonely. And many times I came very close, but... For some reason or another, it, it just didn't work out, and I continue to be very, very lonely. But he understands that his state in life is God's gracious call. Now, that's the first thing Paul wants you to know. You, you need to understand that it's a good gift. It's a gracious gift. You're okay if you're single. And if you're single, then at least for the time, you have the gracious gift of singleness and celibacy. The longings may be there. You may be unsatisfied, but you can be content in the Lord. Now, uh, Paul goes on, verse 25. Now, concerning virgins, he says. He, he means the never married. Um, male and female. This is a word that, that's used not just for women, but also for men. And that becomes clear because from verse 26 on, he, he, he speaks to men. Now, concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. That may be the understatement of the century. I think then that this is good in view of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. In other words, if you are single, it is not a disaster. It's okay. It's good to remain as you are if you have never, never married. 
Now, there are all sort of impl- uh, sorts of implications. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you should marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin should marry, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life, and I'm trying to spare you. There are all those filmy things you have to make your way through to get to the wash basin in the morning. And a, lot of, a lot of troubles. But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened so that from now on both those who have wives should be as, those, be as though they had none, and those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as though they did not buy, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For the form or the fashion of this world is passing away. And I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. That's right. That's what marriage is for. So you can please one another. It's not denigrating marriage. He's simply saying that's the way it is. If you're married, your job is to please your wife. But if you're unmarried, you're free in all this time, all this energy to devote to pleasing the Lord. The one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy or set apart, both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I say for your own benefit. Not to put a restraint upon you, this is an interesting uh, symbol. This is not to put a noose around your neck. I'm not trying to hang you up. Not trying to make things difficult for you, but to promote what is seemly or appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. You understand what Paul is saying? It's good to marry. It's all, it's all right to marry. There's nothing sinful about marriage. Certainly proper. It's God's gracious gift to some, but but neither is it is it sinful to be single. It's God's grace, gracious gift to others. Why? To some, to some others. Why? Well, Paul says the time's short. Time's short. The world's getting old. It's wearing out. It's passing away. We're not going to last on this, this world forever. This is not what we're for anyway. We live uh, 70 years here. Men do. Women live a little longer because they don't wear neckties. But... Uh, <laughs> But, you know, we don't live very long, not in terms of eternity. The time, he says, is getting compressed. It's getting shorter. And, and there's, the, there's the pressure of getting the gospel out and, and, and having a, 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 an effect upon people around us and ministering to those that are down and out and hurt and hungry and, and helping the helpless and showing mercy to those that are in need of mercy. And, and we need to get about the business of knowing God and and serving Him, and loving Him, and, and worshiping Him. Those are the things that really matter, he says. The other things don't matter very much. The, you know, yes, you're married, and you need to devote yourself to that. And that's going to take some time and some energy. Paul says you have to understand those are, those are responsibilities that are yours if you choose, choose to marry. But if you're single, you have, a, you have some discretionary time. To spend in undistracted service for Christ. In other words, the night does not 
belonged to Niccolo. The night belongs to God, and so does the day. You know, I, I think of someone like uh, John Stott, who is single and able to go for weeks at a time. He goes off to a cabin and he studies the Word and, and he writes books that enrich the whole world. And most of us can't do that because we have family responsibilities. Look at the Apostle Paul. Paul uh, was, he, he wasn't responsible for anyone except himself. He could live cheaply. As he traveled, he could just throw a sleeping bag down beside the road. And he, could, he couldn't do that if he had a wife with him. When he's thrown in jail, he didn't have anybody to worry about, about himself. He didn't have to worry about supporting his family. He didn't worry about their concern for him. He could just fling his life away in service to Christ. He had all this time, unfettered, uncluttered time that he could devote to the service of Christ. He did not see singleness as an impediment to service. He saw it as a, as a resource to be used, you see. That's what Paul is saying. You know, we have, we have bought the American dream, which is about as unbiblical as any dreams can be. This idea that what really matters in life is, uh, is succeeding in business. You make a certain amount of money, you buy the right kind of house, you have a charming wife and 2.5 kids and a six handicap and a station wagon and, uh, you know, a, a good portfolio and annuity plan, retirement program, and then when you retire, you buy a condo and you live your sunset years out in Waikiki Beach, and most people do that and they just die. They do. They just shrivel up and die. Because while that looks like the American dream, it's really a nightmare, because basically what it is is just spending all your resources on yourself. That's all. And Jesus put it so bluntly. If, if you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. And what Paul is saying is that when you are single, you, you have a wonderful opportunity to, to, to fling your life away. Don't see it, he says, as something that's restrictive. Use it for Christ's sake in some way, to teach, to train, to help others. You know, I think of people like Tom Brown and Renette Blessing who are able to go overseas for a fraction of what it costs to send married couples overseas. And they, they, they see their singleness, again, as, as, a, as an opportunity. I think of people like John Stott, who, uh, who can take off for two weeks and go off to a cabin someplace and, and study and write books that, that enrich the whole world. I can't do that. I'd love to do that. I can't do that. I have a wife. I have children. I have to stay home. I have to take care of them. I love doing it. But I have to be reasonable. Uh, I have to be reasonable. It's a responsibility that I have, which as a single person I would not have. And you think of people like uh, Wetherill Johnson and Corey Ten Boom and Dr. Henrietta Mears. When I was in the service, I used to drive every Sunday morning that I could, I could get away from the base, from Barstow, California, over to Hollywood Press to sit in her college class. The only place I could be fed. We didn't have any Christian chaplains on the campus. And there were very few Christians that I could find. I'd drive down to Hollywood and I'd sit in her college class. Never met her. Never even talked to her face to face. But that woman changed my life. I always remember up there with her great big hat. She, she took the scriptures very literally and she always wore a hat when she talked, taught the Bible. But boy, she was one tough lady, let me tell you. 
And she taught us. And out of that class, Bill Bright came. His spirit, he, he will say, it's because of Dr. Mears, the teacher, as she was referred to, that he is where he is today. Out of that ministry came Gospel Light Press, one of the largest evangelical presses in, in, in the world today. And out of her ministry came Forest Home, the conference center in Southern California. And as the least of all of the saints, out of that, uh, saints, out of that ministry came me. Because that's what fed me during those years. And that's where I gained my vision for reaching college students. And that's why I went into a ministry to college students after I, I got out of seminary. It was because I saw the impact that that woman had on, on other people's lives. Single lady, never married, never married. And I'm sure she was lonely many times. But she lived out her life for God. Now we could mention others, but those are just a few of of the people that God has used uh, in their single state. Now I'm running out of time. I, I let me read through the last paragraph. Paul has some other uh, matters he wants to discuss. Verse 36: If any man thinks he is acting unbecomingly toward his virgin, he's speaking here to betrothed couples. Some take this to be a virgin daughter. That's the way the New American Standard translates it. They interpret interpret for us with the italicized word daughter. They're thinking of the custom in those days of uh, the father planning the marriage and making the marriage, giving his daughter away. But I rather think Paul is talking about betrothed couples. That seems to make the most sense in context. And, and Paul is saying if you, if, if, if you have a, a special friend of the opposite sex and you're drawn into a relationship with each other, and this is a person with whom you can share your faith, and your love begins to grow, uh, it, it, it's okay. You can marry, he says. That's God's gracious gift to you. If she should be of full age, uh, and if it must be so, let him do as he, ple- as he wishes. He does not sin. Let her marry. But he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has authority over his own will, and has decided to do this in his own heart, to keep his own virgin, that is, to not marry, he he will do well. His sexual urges are under control. They're still there. But he's able, by God's grace, to control them. You see what he's saying? If, If It's all right to marry. You haven't done anything wrong. It's perfectly all right. That's God's gift to you. But... It's also God's gracious gift to be single. That may be his, his will for you. And then uh, in verse 39, he, he re- picks up another issue, that of older women or widows. A wife is bound as long as her husband lives, but if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. It is someone with whom she can share her faith. But listen to this. In my opinion... She's happier if she remains as she is. In other words, remaining single, remaining celibate is a happier state even than remarried, she says. And Paul says it's just as an opinion. But he says, I think I have the Spirit of God. What is he talking about? Well, my mind immediately went to those women in our congregation who are widows or whose husbands perhaps walked off and left them. And they have, they have felt that God did not want them to remarry, at least for right now they're not married. No one knows what God's will in the future may be. But for the present time, it's clearly his will that they remain unmarried. And they have flung themselves into ministry. They're doing what Titus, or what Paul describes in this letter to Titus, is training the younger women, preparing them for life. And uh, uh, 
I know the pressures are there. You've shared life with someone for a long time, and then that partner dies, and suddenly you have to face the pressures of life all by yourself, and there's a there's the temptation to jump right back into another marriage. Paul says, you don't have to. You don't have to. That there's a greater challenge around the corner, you can begin to give your life in service, and you can begin to train and equip others, and you're going to you're going to be fulfilled and satisfied in serving Him in that capacity. Oh, the longings may still be there, and the loneliness may still be there, and the pressures of living alone are great, but nevertheless, God will he'll sustain you through those pressures. Now, I, I, you understand what Paul is saying? If you're single, you're okay. You're not, you're not a second-class citizen. You're okay. And if he has called you into a single state, that's, that's a gracious gift that he's given. As the Negro spiritual puts it, don't you let nobody turn you around. In other words, don't let anybody put you down in our modern idiom. You are fully accepted. And then you need to understand that rather than being an impediment to service, that single state is the greatest opportunity you can imagine to begin to serve within SALT here or Single Women's Fellowship or any of the men's groups or in the Sunday school, the children's ministry, working with college students. All sorts of opportunities are available to you right here. And the hurt and the longing for a partner may continue, but God himself will be your partner in life and you can be content and you'll find that God will use you greatly. And, and when you get to heaven, you're going to look back and you're going to say, it was all worth it. This light, momentary affliction has worked for me an exceeding weight of glory. Margaret Clarkson, who was single all of her life, she's a very prolific songwriter. We have a number of her songs in our book. I'm going to read one in a moment. Put it this way in one of her books. To know God, to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that he is sovereign and that my life is in his care, this is the unshakable foundation on which I stay my soul. Such knowledge has deep significance for me as a single Christian. She put her roots down in God. And she's content. I'd like to read one of her, uh, one of her hymns, and I'd like to have you turn there with me. It's uh, hymn number 500. And I'd like to ask the praise hymn to come up, if they will, and join us. And uh, I'm going to, I'm going to read a portion of it, and then ask you to sing along with me. This is that uh, well-known hymn, "So Send I You," based on uh, John 20:21, 20, "As the Father has sent me, so send I you." And a rather lengthy poem, uh, nine stanzas. They've included four and. In- Hymn number 500 and 5 and hymn 501. I want to read verse uh, 3 of hymn 500. So send I you my strength to know in weakness, my joy in grief, my perfect peace in pain. To prove my power, my grace, my promised presence, so send I you eternal fruit to gain. Single woman wrote this. Margaret Clarkson. Not only was she single, but she was a, is, still is, she's living today, afflicted with uh, 
terrible, terrible migraine headaches. She's in pain almost all of the time, suffered greatly. She knows pain, but she also knows God's presence, his promised presence. And she has stored up treasure in heaven. She has eternal fruit that she's gained. So send I you to bear my cross with patience. That's the place of death. If you saw someone dragging their cross in those days, you would know that they're going out to die. And the Lord sends us out, bearing his cross to die. You see, again, that's the way you find yourself. Our Lord died and was buried and rose again. Life comes from death. We don't understand that principle. We think we have to save our life in order to save it. Jesus says you have to lay it down in order to gain it. You take your life as a single person instead of hustling and looking for a partner, spending all your money on yourself, upgrading your stereo and buying better cars and better condos and whatnot. And you you turn from that and you begin to lay your life down for others and you begin to find life, you see. So send I you to bear my cross with patience and then one day with joy to lay it down. To hear my voice, well done, my faithful servant. Come share my throne, my kingdom, and my crown. And it's that point that we will say, it's been worth it. This light, momentary affliction has worked for me an exceeding weight of glory. Father, we're so glad this morning that you sent the Son. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give, give his life a ransom for many. And we realize afresh this morning that that's the, that's the pattern. That's the life that you've called us to, not to preserve our lives, but to give them away. But Lord, we know that you promise us your presence. You'll never leave us nor forsake us. You died to prove that to us. You're always available to us to supply what we need. We know that all the pressures, all the problems that we face, you're going to face in us and through us. And we know that you're going to use us. Lord, we do not want to waste our lives. We want them to matter. We want to store up treasure in heaven. We want our lives to count eternally. Make that so. And now as we celebrate this time around your table, cleanse our hearts. Thank you for forgiving our sins. Thank you that your blood has washed us clean. We stand before you as your sons, as fully accepted as the Lord Jesus. We know that you see us and are pleased with us because we're in him. We thank you in Jesus' name.